by far the best scene that I have seen in The Chosen. We're going to get into Jesus' public profession of being the Messiah. Stay tuned. Bruce Lawn. Season 3, Episode 3 just came out of The Chosen. I saw Episodes 1 and 2 in theaters. I am fully caught up on Season 2, and I am excited to be jumping in to this scene. Okay, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, okay? This is Jesus uh, after he sends out, in the, in the narrative of, of The Chosen, which is uh, part biblical, and we're going to come back to that, so make sure you stick around until the end, part what they would call kind of fan fiction. There's some things that they're embellishing and storytelling happening. And so after he sends out the disciples two by two to go preach the gospel and perform miracles, he comes back to his hometown, Nazareth, which creates all types of issues. Now, Nazareth, Nazareth you learn, isn't the most affluent town. It's not the most wealthiest town. It kind of has a bad reputation. And so Jesus comes back and he basically gets to speak in the synagogue because his friend Lazarus kind of arranges this whole thing of him coming and speaking on this celebration. And so this scene is the iconic scene that kind of went viral and had a lot of people that were super upset because this has the I am the law of Moses line where Jesus says this. But the entire scene is brilliant and I believe actually speaks to a whole lot more going on right now than we would like to acknowledge. So we're going to look at most of the scene again. If you have not seen it, spoiler alert, okay? Spoiler alert. Check this out. Here we go. This is at the 36-minute mark from their live stream the other day that they put up. So at this point, there's murmuring about him claiming to the Messiah. So there's this weird tension. He has the scroll out and uh, watch what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, in recovery of sight to the blind, to the opening of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Whew, I got goosebumps. And then that's it. He rolls the scroll back up. Now, again, the murmuring is, hey, this little guy, he's from our town. They show a scene earlier of them playing a game together. Everybody there knows them. And he is reading a declaration of his identity. Now, what I think critics will find interesting about this scene that I actually think ties into a lot of the pushback from some people who are skeptics is this idea of the hiddenness of God, that Jesus doesn't jump on the scene and immediately goes, guys, I'm the Messiah, bow down, worship me, I am God incarnate, that there's a slow revealing that happens even across the chosen. There's a few people he knows the Messiah, but it slowly gets revealed. And so here is that moment where like, He's standing 10 toes down. This is obvious. I am the Messiah. And even as they start pushing back, he just acknowledges what they're saying is true. And it escalates further and further and further. And we're going to come to uh, some passages here in a second. So make sure you stay till the end. That's supposed to be Lazarus. I'm assuming that's the same Lazarus he raises from the dead later. The women are on one side. The men are on the other side as it, they gathered in the early synagogues at the time. As you have heard it, it's today. This is the year of the Lord's favor. This is a year of jubilee, a year of the poor, the brokenhearted, 
the captive and the blind are offered redemption. Here, now. We are with you. Keep going. No bad for a carpenter's son, yes? <laughs> I mean, especially Joseph. May he rest in peace. Little please, shot at his dad right there. Please explain why he stops reading before Isaiah spoke of the day of vengeance of our God. Especially during a time of such oppression. The day of vengeance is in the future. Hmm. I think he's foreshadowing his return in Revelation, right? I'm not here for vengeance. I'm here for salvation. Mm-hmm. You're here for salvation. What are you saying? You know what I'm saying. This year of Jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor, is not about release from financial debts. I'm here to provide release from spiritual debt. Come on. We're the chosen seed of Abraham. We don't have spiritual debt. He's like, you do not get it. That's Jesus' mom, by the way. That's Mary. Uh, Jesus. Yes, Adam. We've been hearing about the signs and wonders. And now this? Are you claiming to be more than a rabbi? More than even the baptizer? No doubt one of you will quote me the proverb, Physician, heal yourself. The things we heard you did in Capernaum mm -hmm. and in Syria, do here in your hometown. Yes? Why not? I get it. It's always easier to accept hard truths and even greatness from strangers than from those you know well. Yeah. And we all know this quote. If you don't, this is a quote that I, I'm sure many of us may relate to. Obviously, we're not Jesus, but I'm sure this is a quote that many of us relate to on different uh, uh, different degrees. Listen to what he says. Especially those you knew as awkward teenagers or even as adults, as some of you saw earlier today. Last year would make a more believable prophet. <laughs> but this brings up an important truth. No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Be careful with what you call yourself. This should be. So here we see the tension escalating. And by the way, this is something that our culture right now is struggling with. I read an entire article on uh, Twitter about how the Bible has good ideas, specifically the New Testament, because it reflects how our society is formed by someone, get this, who is not a believer. Okay, so there's conversation about like, yeah, well, the Bibles are good. This, the New Testament's good because it's the bedrock of Western civilization and our moral. If you don't you don't understand the Bible, you're not going to understand the West, right? So many of our laws overlap, right? The Good Samaritan law. So there are people that will say, well, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. Okay, he's escalating this. You think I'm a good teacher? Oh yeah, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. And where is he? In his own hometown, driving home the point that he is without honor. The people there can't receive him. So he's now escalating this. And this happens with anyone that goes to the scriptures, the New Testament, and reads. They're going to be confronted with this in entire conversation. Is he just a rabbi? Is he just a good teacher with some good ideas? Or is he something more? We're going to come back to that idea. Easy to prove. Dinah and Rafi, you say you saw it, yes? Yes. Yes, we saw it, but... He did not claim this. The true prophet. So he saw a miracle and a sign earlier in the series. And so he's saying, well, you guys saw it. Basically trying to get him to force, uh, not not force, but trying to do a miracle or a sign to show this, right? From Adonai would not deny his own people's signs and wonders. Listen carefully. When a great famine hit Israel during the days of Elijah, three years and six months, there were many widows, yes? 
And we know how the Father cares for his chosen people, especially widows. But Elijah was sent to none of them, not a one. Instead, he was sent to a widow in Sidon, in Zarephath, a Gentile woman. Martha, what happened? She gave up her last flour and oil for one more cake and gave it to Elijah. Why would she do that? Elijah told her the Lord said to do so. Yes. The Lord said that he would make it so that her flour and oil would never run out. And she believed. A pagan Gentile in a pagan land. And she was hungry enough to know she needed God and to obey him. And so God sent Elijah to multiply her food forever. You guys understand how the, how much this is poking to these to this entire community right now. He's really pushing some buttons with them. Okay? Uh, again, I want you to watch till the end because you'll be surprised by something from this entire scene after we finish it. What about Elisha and Naaman? There were many lepers in Israel during this time, but none of them were cleansed except Naaman. Only a Gentile, a Syrian soldier, an enemy of the Lord's people. But he was so desperate, he trusted Elisha, and his leprosy was cleansed. Mm. You may be the chosen seed of Abraham. You may be the people of the covenants. Come on. But that will not bring you my salvation. Yes! If you cannot accept that you are spiritually poor and captive, in the same way that a Gentile woman and a Syrian leper recognize their need. If you do not realize that you need a year of the Lord's favor, then I cannot save you. Now he's escalating this to not just prophet, to savior, not just Messiah, to the one that could deal with your salvation. Okay, and again, when the world looks at Jesus, good guy, good teachings, good idea, love your neighbor as yourself, do unto others, right? Good ideas, but it's so much more than that. And they're being confronted with it in real time. By the way, these are people who are in synagogue. They identify themselves as religious. They identify them, they, they are Israel, right? And yet Jesus is confronting them and challenging them to their very face that it's not financial, it's not uh, freedom from Rome that you want. You actually need a spiritual savior. This is the upside down kingdom that is evident all throughout the New Testament. Who do you think you are? This is what Hannah That's his childhood friends, by the way, that are now living. They were just playing a game earlier in the in the episode. Talked about that he even called himself the Messiah. Are you claiming to be the Messiah? Or are you merely claiming to speak with the Lord as a prophet? Watch this answer. Yes. Yeah! You are a false prophet. <gasps> well, that is quite a thing to say. Jesus, maybe we should leave. Lazarus, you're his friend. You cannot be involved. Know what the law of Moses We are all his friends, Aaron. We cannot say things like this. Jesus, stand up at once. Rabbi, please. Rafi, come with Jesus and me. No. We will leave, and you can all continue the service. Rabbi Benjamin has asserted false prophecy. And I cannot argue. You said you saw the miracle. He's saying only he can save He us. did not use those words. It's what I meant. Jesus, you're not... <laughs> 
By the way, the humor on this, he said he could only say, uh, he, I didn't, he didn't use the right, uh, it's what I meant. Helping. Stop. He's saying we are not the home. Jesus, you're not helping. Lazarus is trying to defuse the situation. Jesus, you're not helping. He once chosen. Now he did not say that. In words, a book of Moses. That's a prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak. That same prophet shall die. Rabbi Benjamin, I beg of you, not this. Lazarus, it's fine. I find it interesting that the accusation of him being a false prophet seems in this episode, and I could be wrong, maybe I should ask Dallas about this, seems to be just on the strength of the fact that they all know him. That's like, he, why is he a false prophet? Because they all know him, right? I, I don't see nothing else he's said here that has shown him to be a false prophet, just besides that they all know him. Jesus, they're going to... I whisper something in Lazarus' ear. Jesus, if you do not renounce your words, we will have no choice but to follow the law of Moses. It's the line. I am the law of Moses. Now, here's the interesting part about this. When this first came out, um, there's a lot of uproar about that specific line and the, the, the channel that kind of got it all going ended up basically saying that, you know, it was a miscommunication and they took it down the wretched, um, channel. Um, and so, uh, Todd Darrow, who's a really cool guy, we hopped on the phone about that. So that line of, uh, I am the law of Moses completely taken out of context in terms of it being attached to some things that it just wasn't attached or inspired from, but... The interesting part about this entire scene is how much of it actually is from Scripture, which may surprise you. If you go to uh, Luke chapter 4, it tells this story even down to the proverb that Jesus recites, right? Jesus returned in the power of the, uh, in the, power of the Spirit of Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in the synagogues being glorified, and he, be, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the seventh day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was, and then this is what he reads, um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor verbatim. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. He quotes the proverb in that scene. What, are you, uh, what have you heard at Capernaum? Do you hear in your hometown as well? And then he references the Elijah story, right? And then he references the Elisha story. And it goes on and on to the point where he um, gets taken to the, to the mountain, to the cliff. And he uh, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the bro the brow was the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. It was awesome to see this so illuminated in scripture and so directly pulled from scripture and as well with some, you know, embellishing and, and some just really good dialogue on uh, the chosen's part. Here's the macro idea here. As people are looking at Jesus, which he never stops being popular, even in the secular community, as people are examining him, 
we uh, they come back to this this tension of where which I believe multiple apologists have defined this. C.S. Lewis, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, Lord, liar or lunatic, right? He can't just be a good teacher. He can't just be a good teacher. Okay, either he is who he claims to be, which is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, one that can forgive sins, or, or he's lying to everyone and deceiving people, or he's out of his mind. You don't get a third option with Jesus. And that is, I think, what this scene is showing and emphasizing is this tension that the world is actually dealing with as well as religious folks. Is he just a good rabbi, just a good teacher? Or is he just a prophet, as some other religions would call him? Or is he the Messiah, God in the flesh, son of man, son of David, coming to offer forgiveness of sins, redemption to the world, to buy back the world from the grip of the enemy? This is the crux, I think, of that scene that we all have to wrestle with. And I think this is, um, as the story progresses, the most overt proclamation of Jesus's Messiah-like uh, 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 authority over this group, yet, yet not showing signs and wonders. And what do we hear from the skeptics? Well, if God would just make himself known, if God would just show up to me, if God would just, just, uh, why, why can't we know, right? It's the same tensions that we're dealing with right here and now. It's the same tensions and the same conversations that we deal with with regards to a lot of the conversations around apologetics. If God is so real, why is he hiding himself from me? Why can't he just show up and just show himself to the whole world? Why can't he do a sign? Why can't he do a miracle right here and now? The same thing that the people in his hometown that were too familiar with him were demanding and asking in our Western context where a lot of people are familiar with Jesus, yet they don't worship him and follow him as Lord. That's the takeaway I had from this episode. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Let me know if you saw the whole episode. What did you think about it? What was your takeaway? Also, if you guys want to see my uh, conversation with Dallas Jenkins, the creator of The Chosen, I'm going to have that over here, as well as my reaction when this uh, scene initially came out uh, on the trailer. I'm going to have that over here. I'll see you over there. Peace.